police have identified more victims and plan on more than just the four murder charges filed today. Confirm earlier reports of cannibalism. The building was a scene of ghoulish slaughter. A large kettle on the stove which held boiled body parts. Identified more victims. Killed even more. Plan on more than just the four murder charges filed today. Had sex with some of his victims before he killed them and that he was also a necrophiliac. You are now listening to Blinding True Crimes with your host, Maddie Matt, Todd Fox, and Gabby Gab. Hey, 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 welcome into another episode of the Grinding True Crime podcast with your host, Maddie Matt, along with our narrator for today, Todd Fox, and the other host of the show, Gabby. And we are back live, kicking off another true crime story. But before we get into all the uh, details, let's let you guys know where you can find us. Follow us on our Facebook page. Our Instagram page is type in the Grinding True Crime Podcast. Or if you want to listen to us on your uh, uh, podcast, uh, just type in the Grinding True Crime on Spotify, especially iTunes, iHeart, and all those good places you can find us. Type in Grinding True Crime Podcast to listen to some of our uh, past stories and our current as well. As always, listeners' discretion is advised because we do get into details of the crime that takes place. So if you're, you know, a little sensitive to certain details, please be advised. You've been warned. Now, with all that being said, Todd Bach is going to kick off his story. It's going to be a brief one, but it should be a good one from what he told me. Don't know what it is, but let's take it away, Todd. Thank you very much for the introduction. <clears throat> this is the Hi-Fi Murders. The Hi-Fi Murders. Hi-Fi Murders, yeah. Okay, oh, Hi-Fi. Yeah, Hi-Fi being high-fidelity um, stereo equipment oh. back in the day. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's like your studio equipment, your, you know, if you're trying to make a hip-hop type, um, you know, it's all, all your 80s type equipment for stereos. Amplifiers and, and all that stuff. Home theater systems, yes. Got it, got it. Yeah. So, our story begins in Ogden, Utah, 1973, just outside Hill Air, Air Force Base. Okay. The base has been a part of the community for decades. Among the troops that are stationed there is a man by the name of Del Pierre. <clears throat> Del Pierre was 20 years old at the time and working at the Air Force Base as a mechanic. He was Trinidad Tobago background. Trinidad is a small island off the coast of Venezuela. <clears throat> he migrated to uh, the country when he was 16 years old and uh, went to high school briefly before joining the Air Force. Yeah, well, so this is, I think this is our first one where we're, we're talking about someone from, a, from the islands, huh? Yes, yes. All right, interesting. We're going all over the world with this crime. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> so um, while here in the States, however, he needed money in 1973. So even at the Air Force base, he wasn't making too much money. He began to uh, dabble in some crime, and that would Uh-oh. be car theft. Okay. So check out what he would do. He would sign up for test drives at car dealerships, bring cars to the Air Force base, because back then in the 70s, you can actually go up, sign a paper, leave your ID, um, go for a test drive, and then just bring it back like an hour or two later. What? All alone, huh? Yeah, all alone. You didn't even take what? a. You didn't even take one of those goofy salesmen trying to do his stand-up routine with you in the car. I'll leave them alone, man. 
<laughs> You're all, they're just trying to make a sale. They're just trying to make their sale, man. <laughs> My brother's a car salesman. Oh, okay. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> no offense. It's all good. <laughs> I agree. I'd rather go test it by myself. Exactly. Um, but here's where here's where he got a little smart, though. In those okay. two hours that he had to have the car, he would take it to the Air Force base where another friend of his would make a copy of the car key. So then days later at nighttime, when the cars were all behind the lot or whatever, they'd break the chain, go in there, and they'd have the copy to steal the car right off the lot. Smart man. I, I, I don't condone it, but I see it. <laughs> yep. And so he started to make money. Word got around the, the base, and not in a bad way. Three other Air Force men joined up with him to start their own ring with him. Wow. They began to take four to five cars each a month. And then they would drive them out of state to where they had a guy dismantle them for parts, pay them for the cars. And then they just take the bus back to the Air Force Base. So you figure, let's say it's about four or five of them. He said four a month, 20 cars. Man. That's a lot of cash. That is a lot of cash. So he's doing good for himself at this part. A lot of the soldiers knew of the activities, but nobody challenged Dale. Nobody went to his superiors, nothing. Dale was also an intimidating looking guy. No wonder. (laughs) Yeah. So, but one man was not intimidated by him. And this was Sergeant Edward Jefferson. Okay. One day Jefferson went to his, uh, his desk and noticed his gun or his gun, his keys were gone. And he confronted Dell about it because he knew via rumor that Dell was into taking keys. He threatened Dell with exposure to the military police if he didn't return his keys. But he didn't mm. get a chance to tell. And why was that, you think? He slit his throat. What do you think, Gabby? I agree. He probably cut him up. Boy, you guys are on it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so on the base, just later... A few days later from the confrontation, Jefferson's body was found because some of his superiors couldn't get a hold of him. They went to his barracks and they found him on the couch with his throat slashed and a knife sticking out of his forehead. He had been stabbed several times in the face. Ooh, you nailed it, babe. Yes. That's the only way to quiet a snitch. Chop <laughs> their tongue off. Cut their throat. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm going into detail. My bad. Oh wow, man. Damn. I'm sorry. I promise I'm sorry. he is not a murderer. <laughs> well, you sure learned a lot from the show. <laughs> it's getting to him now. That's all. Jeez, man. Remind, remind me not to cross him or something. <laughs> Dang. So I wonder how that happened. You know, because these are militant guys. It's not like he's a punk or anything. It's not like I'm quite sure he probably put up a fight. But man. It seems like somebody else was in on. Yeah, he had rage. This dude had rage. But mm. uh, so the police, when they were, you know, with the military police, they're investigating it. They couldn't understand who would do this to Edwards because whoever did it really was pissed off at him, judging where the knife was, the cuts, everything. Yeah, and the it, knife on the forehead left me like, dang. Oh, yeah. He yeah. Pinned him. <clears throat> so they went and they interviewed several soldiers. The only name that kept coming up of someone who would possibly not like Sergeant Edwards was Del Pierre, our mm. boy from Trinidad. Mm. Uh, 
Police brought him in for questioning. Pierre denied the allegations and the alibi. He had an alibi for where he was at, but it could not be backed up by anybody. So he had circumstantial evidence on him, but unfortunately there was no fingerprints on the house or the barracks or the knife itself. Dang. He knew how to cover up. He was prepared. Oh yeah, he was prepared. Oh yeah. So Sergeant or Detective Moore was very frustrated because he tried everything to crack him and he couldn't. Police had no evidence, so they had to let him go. But they would keep him in mind as a suspect in, in uh, as time went on. Um, later in the month, however, uh, Dell and two friends would go to see a Clint Eastwood movie called Magnum Force, which was, I don't know if you've ever heard of the movie uh, Dirty Harry. Oh, yeah. Okay, this was the sequel to that one. <clears throat> I've never yeah. seen it. Yeah, it's sort of like mm-hmm. one of those cops versus robbers shoot em up type thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And in this one, and Clint East, and these are gory movies for the back in those times, right? Oh, yeah. Um, a lot of death. But in the second movie, in Magnum Force, Clint Eastwood is actually a cop that hunts down rogue cops that are taking over a city and committing murders. Mm. So it's a movie that the, that, um, Dell and his friends would go see how many times in one day? Uh, I'm gonna say figure matinee time starts at 11, probably a two hour movie. Do the math, I'm gonna say five times a day. Five times, yeah, in one day to watch that movie. What do you think, Gab? Uh, I'm gonna say they were obsessed and, and say like seven. That would be amazing, but they actually it was actually lower. It was three times in one day. Oh, they, wow. They actually caught it around uh, 2 o'clock. It says here 5 o'clock, and then the evening one at 7. They were that obsessed with that movie? So they were just there for hours. <laughs> Pretty much. They were there just watching the same movie three times the same day, and all three of them loved it. That's weird. Yeah, I couldn't do that. I mean, I like Pride and Prejudice a lot, but I, I can watch it three times a day. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, you wind up getting that into almost every Don't worry podcast. about what I do with my- <laughs> <laughs> No, no, he switched already. It's not Pride and Prejudice anymore. Oh, yeah, I'm tired of it. Oh, jeez. <laughs> now he's had sense of sensibility. I love it. Oh, my God. <laughs> Okay, we need to move on. We need to move on. Oh my gosh! So, so the character Dirty Harry in the in the Clint Eastwood movie, the, Ooh, you dirty rat. They're not in. They're not into Clint Eastwood, and not into his characters. At least okay. Dell wasn't. Dell was into the bad guys. He was cheering on the bad guys in the movie. Mm. Of course he was. Of course he was. Yeah. So there was a convenience store robbery scene where Dirty Harry wound up wasting all the bad guys. But before then, they created a lot of terror and killing a lot of people. And mm-hmm. and he loved that part. And he ever thought to himself, if he was ever in that situation, he wouldn't have made himself vulnerable for Dirty Harry or a cop like Dirty Harry to kill him. He, mm-hmm. he thought, you know, I've been getting away with stuff for years. Now murder, car theft, police can never tr- uh, t- touch me. Oh, so he feels he's untouchable. Yeah, he's he's already making trying to make the movie turn into reality. Okay. So in the movie, a pimp decides to get back at a um, prostitute of his that did not give him his money. So mm-hmm. he makes her drink Drano, and she Ooh. dies right in front of him. 
So that's an actual scene that's in that movie. Yeah. The female dies in that movie in like less than one minute. So Dell loved that part. He loved it. He figured that if push comes to shove, that someday it would be an excellent way to dispose of someone if the opportunity had presented itself. Uh, Trano, kill the insides. Mm-hmm. So check this out. A few, yeah, that's, that's terrible, right? Yeah. <laughs> so a few days later, he came up with an idea of a robbery at a near electron, uh, nearby electronic store. So he recruits William Andrews, who's a friend of his on the Air Force base. He wanted a nice uh, stereo. He wanted he he told William, "I want this stereo equipment. We can make a real fast buck, more money even than with the cars because it's high end equipment. You know, it's it's studio stuff, it's stereo stuff. It's it's people want it. It's popular. So Pierre and Andrews were in on it, and even on the Drano if needed to be used. But they need. Yeah, they were both in on the Drano thing. So, um, but they needed one guy to be the driver of the van and also lookout. So that's where Keith Roberts then joins the trio for the robbery. So all of them are on the Air Force base at this time. All military. All military guys. The people you think you can trust. Yep. <clears throat> and again, this is an Air Force base in a community, a small community that's trustworthy of like Gab said, you know, the Air Force in the small town are like one. They take care of each other. So, wow. Not good. Nope. So, what usually happens when I um, announce a date? Uh oh. Yeah. Death follows. <laughs> yeah. Not death. Yeah. Death. Either one, death or death, it happens. <laughs> you know, black people can't enunciate that way. <laughs> death. It's like a whole paragraph of words sometimes you can't enunciate, but we'll say Don't worry about what we can. You know, it's all love. It's all love. Oh, of course. <laughs> You're all screaming. Really. <laughs> so, so what is the date, Todd? The date, you say, sir, is April 22nd, 1974, nearing closing, closing time. Mm. So this was a year after his first murder? Yes. Okay. The two suspects, Pierre... Well, it's actually six months, because it was at at the end of 73, yeah. Got got it. So two suspects, Pierre and Andrews, entered the store. Young 21-year-old Stan Walker and his uh, 19-year-old Michelle Ainsley were both working there at the time. It was Michelle Ainsley's first week at the job. Oh, dang. Both were at the front desk. With guns drawn, the two ordered the two downstairs to the basement. That store had a basement level. Mm-hmm. So the two began to tie them up. They thought the robbers would leave after they stole the equipment because Dell, uh, after all, told uh, Stan and Michelle as they were frightened on the floor of the, uh, of the basement that you won't be harmed if you just all comply. But... Some some fateful, unfortunate events would take place that would turn uh, a bad thing into an absolutely horrific thing. Don't tell me. Well, let me me ask you guys a question. What do you think happens next? Well, based on the tone of how it's going, I'm going to say clearly they were murdered. 
I think he was shot in the head first, and then they probably raped her and then killed her. Gab? I honestly, I'm going to go with what Matt said. I have no idea. Okay. Okay. Well, let's find out. I don't. I don't want to give it away too early because there's some. Come on, tell us, man. The only thing that if it's a female, though, I do agree that they probably raped her. Okay. Let's find out if you guys are right. Let's find out if you guys are right. The first, the first unfortunate thing that happens, though, however, is not that any kind of murder yet. Okay. Just as things were mellowing out and people and the two began to ransack some of the stuff in the store. Mm-hmm. 16-year-old Courtney Nesbitt, a friend of Michelle's, was coming downstairs. He was calling for her, saying, I didn't see you in the store. Where are you guys at? Are you guys downstairs? He entered the basement looking for the pair as he would often drop by after closing to hang out with either one of them that worked there at the store. And he's 16? 16 years old, yeah. Dang, huh? So young. Exactly. So he came down the stairs, and he was all frightened to see a gun pointed at the back of his head as he came down to the bottom of the stairs. Um, Andrews tied up Nez bed while Pierre kept the gun on, on him. And after the pair began to ransack the store and start loading the van of it in, uh, expensive equipment now with Keith upstairs, the it takes time, though, because that equipment is heavy. So mm-hmm. they have three hostages downstairs, and all the other three guys are upstairs, the the robbers taking care of and loading the van one big expensive item at you know after another mm-hmm. here's where it again takes another turn an hour, an hour goes by as they're loading the van they're not quite mm-hmm. done yet stan's father who was supposed to take the family out for dinner told his wife i'm gonna go check on stan he's late he hasn't called. I've called the store. No one's picking up. I'm going to go to see what's going on. With his son not home, he decided to go check up on him. Oren Walker passes the van in his car. He thought it looked odd at the side of the store, but didn't think anything of it. Maybe it was a late delivery. So he parked on the other side of the store, proceeded to walk in. Nobody was there, so he proceeded downstairs. At this point, Pierre was down there with Andrew or with Andrews, and as he came calling down for his son, the robbers then grabbed him as well, tied him up, hit him over the head with a gun, and sat him next to his son. Dang. That's wrong. Yep. So now you have four hostages in the basement, and it's... uh. Now the robbers are starting to lose numbers. You know, they're, they're, there's more of them than them. And mm-hmm. starting to get frustrated and argue with each other. So Keith Roberts went upstairs and says, Hey, I'm gonna just I'm gonna stay by the van. Whenever you guys are ready, let's get the hell out of here. So <clears throat> Andrews is still arguing with Dell downstairs. So Dell decides, well, we have four hostages here. Let me do something, uh let me do something right where I feel is right. And here's where you guys are right. He grabbed Michelle and took her to the bathroom where he raped her for 30 minutes. That's what he felt was right? Yeah. Twisted freak. Wow. He wanted to get his jollies. So. How much rope did they have? Enough to, well, they were using rope and duct tape and all their kinds of stuff. Mm. So he raped her and assaulted her for 30 minutes, dude. Dang. 
and there's in at this point they they could just go the van is is low yeah. keith yeah. is upstairs andrew's just watching the other hostages he and then what makes andrew mad is dell comes out andrew thinks he's going to take a turn at michelle and dell tells him no so oh, now they're yes so dell said look i've got an idea so he went upstairs to get the drano and he got uh-huh. plastic cups and as he was pouring uh, the drinks, he brought them downstairs, and he said, hey, this is a German sleeping drink. If you guys drink this, you guys will go to sleep. It, it helps you lose your memory. You won't remember us. We don't have to harm you. You just have to drink it. So he's trying to convince the four people to take it. Now, at this time, another fateful thing happens. Carol Nesbed, the mother of Courtney Nesbed the 16-year-old boy, mm-hmm. she comes wandering down the stairs. Oh, no. Wow. Yep, looking for her son. They rush her. They tie her up, hold her at gunpoint, push her to the floor. Now Dell gets even more pissed. Now he's like, they are all going to drink this. So he forces the newcomer, Carol, to drink it first. Oh, Carol starts to drink and she begins to cough it up automatically as her mouth is now burning. She's hard, she's having a hard time swallowing and breathing at the same time. As she's starting to show the first signs of convulsing, they're they're quickly trying to get the others to drink so they don't all panic and not, you know, make things worse. Yeah. So imagine knowing and seeing the person next to you drinking poison and starting to just trip out and struggle to breathe and you've got that cup being forced to your face Mm-mm. yep that's terrifying yeah, yeah man you might as well just kill me you might as well just shoot just him shoot me. well these are these are guys who are just terrible they could have just shot and they didn't yeah so, and then too they're young you gotta keep in mind they are young and scared yep who's young and scared the hostages well yeah, but I'm saying, like, if you're clearly trying to kill them no matter what. Why not just shoot them? Like, really? They can already see the woman. Mm-hmm. And so here's here's where it gets more in detail. Their throats began to close. The skin in their mouth burns and starts to peel. <sighs> Ow. Yeah, they've got... So, so now they're starting to bleed out their mouth. And when they're inhaling the toxin that goes down their throat, it comes into their nose as they're trying to cough it up. So it starts burning their nostrils and they start bleeding out of their nose as well because the same stuff that's happening in their throat is happening in their nostrils. Oh, oh that's horrible. That's a horrible that's way to torture. go. Torture. And it's also eating away at their at their um, their lungs. Their lungs. <clears throat> yeah. So at this time they're all struggling to breathe. They get to Orin, the father, and he didn't want to swallow they were trying to force it into him they're slapping him in the face he's kind of leaning his head to the side so it kind of drips down the side of his face he was trying to fake convulsing to let them you know believe that he was drinking it but Dell Dell was at this point when Andrew was trying to force the liquid down Oren's throat he was not happy that the others were still alive still breathing their lips were, were, were starting to bleed and bubble up and but, but they weren't dying and so he he was getting really pissed so he felt that they had to leave he could hear keith from the window saying we need to go we need to go 
So Dell pulled out his 22 caliber gun and he says he can't take it anymore. Uh, or Andrew says, I can't take it anymore. And he goes upstairs and he gives up on Oren and all the others. And Andrew's like, I want to go. I want to go. I'm out of here. So he takes off, heads up with Keith. Dell takes his 22 and looks at Michelle's, uh, looks into Michelle's eyes. And as he does, she's saying, no, no, no. I'm too young to die with her. Like whatever voice she had left. And he shoots her in the forehead. Oh, yeah. He then turns the gun on Carol Nesbed, shoots her, then her son in the forehead, then Oren's son. Then he turned the gun on Oren, shot him in the chest, and he was out of bullets. Oren is still breathing. So instead of just leaving the scene, freaking Dale grabs a or and and cuts off a um what is it called? A cable from one of the um, hi-fi equipment that's in the, the basement, like mm-hmm. an extension cord, mm-hmm. wraps it around Oren's head and starts to choke him out, try to strangle him. Mm. But he doesn't pass out. So like a minute goes by, Keith comes down, or not Keith, Andrew comes down and says, let's go, man, let's go. So he tries to, um, as he, he's not choking him out, like Oren won't die. So then here is where it gets a little hard to stomach too even more if you haven't had problems already he looks around and sees a pencil oh no Oren's on his side a pencil yeah he puts the pencil in Oren's ear and then he takes his foot raises it up and stomps it into his head oh oh my god oh Oren screams and passes out so he thinks he kills him. So then he takes off finally with the trio and they take off. Oh. Yeah. Oh. I don't think I've heard anything worse. Yo, yet. my my That's... ear hurt hearing that. Yeah, it's not pretty... just the pencil, but the, the liquid that they were Ugh. drinking. Like why? Yeah, that, that that is Yo, this man is evil. It's terrible, right? <clears throat> but before I kind of got ahead of myself. Before he leaves, he um, does another honorable thing, and he robs him. He uh, loots him of everything that they had in their wallets and purses. He takes Well, them. of course. Yes. So the three men would go to a local storage unit where they would drop the stuff off, and then they would head back to the Air Force Base like nothing happened. Um, wow. How? Yeah. I don't understand how people do that. Now, see, yeah, and here's the thing. <clears throat> you want to talk about Medal of Honor right here. So, Oren, while they're at the storage unit, 30 minutes later, wakes up. And he rolls over to see his son in a pool of blood and vomit. Dead. <sighs> now, any one of us could be in that position. Who knows what we're thinking? But he could have just thought, you know what? I'm going to roll over and die. I'm in severe pain. That's it. But gone, yeah, yeah, and so seeing his son, however, he decided. Secondly, he says, "You know what? I've got to live to catch these jerks that did this to my family and to his friends." Yeah. So he finds the the power to get up and stumble up the stairs, crawl to the phone, and call nine one one or the police. Wow. Yeah, 
the police, however, now mind you, this is a small town in Ogden, Utah. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they get there, the first cops get there. One of them immediately sees the the pencil still sticking out of his head, bleeding, his mouth ablaze, and and just like he's gasping for air. And with a gunshot wound to his chest, he vomits. And he automatically yeah. calls the chief and says, "Send everybody you got." And the the police come in full force. The first uh, they send twelve units, which is a lot for surrounding cities. Mm-hmm. And they get there and they can't believe the carnage they see downstairs. Um, some veteran detectives couldn't believe it and were appalled by what they saw. Um, uh, to, I don't think anybody could stomach that. No. Yeah, that's terrible, terrible. Uh, the police would get down there and find Michelle laying in her own pool of blood and vomit. Um, also, his son, Oren's son, was down there as well, same, same way. Carol was still breathing with a gunshot wound in her head. Her son was still breathing with a gunshot wound in his head. Um, but on the on the uh, drive over to the hospital, uh, Carol dies, but Courtney would eventually survive. Her son. Wow. wow. The sixteen-year-old boy would survive. Wow. Yeah. Um, we don't know the extent of the damage it did. They, I looked for that and I couldn't find it. Okay. So um, the detectives began canvassing the area, and they were they didn't find much except some tire tracks, and also um, they they just found uh, some of the purses and wallets outside in a trash can, but that was it. Um, they didn't find. They were trying to dust for prints. The story was big news. It made the local news and also national because you had three dead, two severely hurt, and, um, you know, the one was clinging to life. And um, <clears throat> one thing what, one thing turned the case upside down, mm-hmm. and that was the fact that uh, uh, Sar- Sergeant uh, Dete- or Detective Moore uh, would be able to link these cases together, and how he did it was the fact that there was uh, two kids a day later that were looking for scrap metal in some dumpsters behind the Air Force base uh, found IDs of the victims. Mm. And they told their mother of what they found. The mother went to the police and it got back to Sergeant Moore and or Detective Moore. And he um, realized that that was the same Air Force base that he six months prior was trying to solve the murder of Edwards, the one that was mm-hmm. in the face. Now, what really piqued his interest was when he found out where those IDs and that trash can were located. And this is one of the smartest detectives we've heard. We've heard. Yeah, they were lo- They were located behind the barracks number three fifty one, where Del Pierre resided. Mm. So the idiot threw the trash right behind his freaking barracks. What a dummy. Yep. That's I where he thought he up. was smarter. Yeah, exactly right. What a dummy. So Moore gets a, a search warrant. And, and uh, two days later, they go searching through his barracks and they found a key to a storage unit. And upon raiding the storage unit, they found all the hi-fi equipment, fingerprints, that matched the ones they found at the store and they found a um, a flyer for the hi-fi store 
at the mm-hmm. barracks, and also a used bottle of Drano. Uh, well, there you have it. Yep. So they were all arrested once they got Dell. Um, they put the pictures out there, and Oren, uh, again, helping his Medal of Honor cause, was able to identify the other twos as Keith and as, all, as Andrew. And uh, they were all arrested, all three of them, within days of the Hi-Fi murders. Wow. I hope they gave them Drano to drink. <laughs> nope. Again, you're going to be angry with the outcome. Because... No, I already know. Yeah. What? Well, all right. What do you What do you think happens to Dell and Andrew? They get a plea deal and only serve maybe a couple of years. Oh no, no, no. They didn't get that lucky. Oh, okay, okay. I just think think how Gab would uh, put out the punishment and think. Of, oh, it's not uh, going to be the punishment you want. It's not the punishment you want. Okay, probably fifty years in prison. No. I'm gonna say life. Okay, we're we're actually gonna give them death penalty three times each of each of them. Whoa! But what? however, however, they will not die by something that's gonna cause them pain. They will die by lethal injection. Oh wow! So yeah, that's how the other people died. Mm-hmm. Exactly. See, they they get put down humanely, like an injured or old dog, but these other people go through hours of torture. Yep. Put some Drano in that needle. <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> burn, 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 baby, burn. Look, hit them. Exactly. But here's here's the only good thing about the story What's is that, that um, there is a happy ending a bit. Okay. At the at the age of 34, he already exhausted all of his freaking uh, appeals. So he was in he was on death row for only 13 years. In Utah, and in 1987, Pierre still had no remorse. His final words is, I'm glad it's over. And just prior to receiving the lethal injection, he died a few minutes later. So, five years later, at the age of 37, Andrew, again, uh, drew out all his appeals. All he said his final words was, to my family, I'm sorry and I love you. Said nothing remorseful to his victims. Wow. He to too- my family. Yep, to my family. That's all he cared about. Wow. Sorry for the shame I caused you. Yeah. Sorry I'm in prison. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah, he died moments later. Lethal injection now. Here's one where karma kind of comes back. So our, our driver, Keith Roberts, was only given life in prison. Okay. How many years do you think he served? Mm, 20. What about you, Gab? I'm going to say about six, seven years later, he's dead. Dude, you're right. You're almost right on, except he served 13 years only out of a life sentence. 13 years. Well, how did he die? Now, now he was implicated. Now, he got only life because he was implicated as the driver. And Oren specifically said that he did not participate in any of the Drano, the rape or the torture. He stayed mostly upstairs. He only came down once. So because of that, he was spared the death penalty. However, 13 years he got out and was paroled in 1987. But but karma would catch up with him five years later. So you were close, Gab. Uh-oh. Uh, so he, he got out? Yeah, he got out. 
1987. Yeah. So he avoided he avoided the uh, execution and he avoided the life term, but he did not uh, avoid whatever killed him because karma would get him and he would die of an unspecified illness that they could not stop ravaging his body. So he died a painful death five years later in 1992. Wow. I wish it was uh, the other dude, Dale. Yep. That guy needed to die more. Yeah. So the guy that drove suffered the most. Yes. (laughs) Go figure. (laughs) Go figure. While the other two bastards were not remorseful, they didn't care, and they died with an injection and been put to sleep. Yep. That's the system. That is um that is a story of the hi-fi murders, but that is some of these things that the, these crime stories we do, the murderers never die with the exception of Dahmer that you did, Gab, of mm-hmm. anything violent. You know, usually they die of something, you know, kidney failure or they die That's in true. natural causes. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Cancer. And, mm-hmm. Dahmer was the only one that did that did receive uh justice in the street justice. Yeah, he got pretty bad punishment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this was, uh, an, again, another case of that going by where the, just the victims suffered more than the actual ones that were punished. So, yeah. Any word on the father and the son or nothing? Uh, I did find out about the father that he did recover fully. He did not uh, have any kind of long-term effects other than the trauma of seeing, you know, I can't say he didn't suffer any long-term effects, but mentally, you know, he suffered the effects, but physically, no. Got it. But the son, I couldn't find nothing on the Nesbed boy, whether he was paralyzed or anything else like that. They just said he took one in the forehead and he survived. So, Wow. Yeah. The willpower to stay alive. Yeah. That is so sad. So one of each of the, like, on one, the, the... The daughter dies. Mm-hmm. The dad survives. On the other one, the son survives, but his mom died. Oh well, no! The, the The son died no. of the father. The, the son died. The father died. The, the, alive. the son died. The father stayed alive. Oh, the okay. Mother so was... died. The son stayed alive. And the girl. She wasn't related to them. Oh. Dad. Yeah, she was the only one that didn't have someone come looking for her. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. She was the coworker. She had only been there a week. That is sad. Yeah. So, Aww. all because of a movie, this was con- con- considered a copycat murder. Yeah. That's where they got their stupid ideas. Mm hmm. Art imitating life or life. Can't always do what you see. Yeah. So, what do you, what do you guys think about this case? This one sucked. Um, very detailed, very graphic. I will finally commend the detective though on this one. They finally, this was the first time the detective put on their thinking cap and said, wait a minute, I've seen this before and got him right away. Yep. So good detective work, definitely. Yeah, that was the first because in all of the cases we've done, there's like some police stupidity. (laughs) (laughs) Ain't that the truth, man. So yeah, kudos to that detective. He he did his job and he did it fast. But yeah. it, oh, go ahead. it it's still enraging what happened. Like I wish those men had gotten more consequence. Oh yeah. See, when I was doing this story, I automatically thought of Gab. I was like, 
Yeah, she, <laughs> she's gonna want. I could feel her as she's listening. The rage building in her, and she <laughs> wants some sort of, um, some sort of retribution. But at the end, I I got I go. I know she's not gonna be satisfied with the ending. No. <laughs> Shoot off every finger. <laughs> that is not enough. No, for the rapist, Drano would go somewhere else as well. If you just kill me just kill me just kill me yeah like matt said in their veins that kind of shot would have been great i would rather take the pencil than the other yeah man yeah yeah ouch i have to agree you got me crossing my legs over here (laughs) (laughs) you literally burn on that hey that's what he deserved yeah, I, I felt yeah. that those guys just got away with it. They did, they did. I mean, you know, the good <laughs> the good thing out of it, they did die, but not the way they should have. I'm not laughing at the story. I have some very, very jacked up aggressive consequences. Ooh. Oh, God. For these men. I'm not even going to say them, give nobody ideas. <laughs> <laughs> You see, you see people why she can't be a judge you no see, you see <laughs> throwing the book at you ain't the word she's throwing everything at you she would break all kinds of constitutional laws and what? <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> for real i would try to change those laws man <sighs> well that's the show my friends that was a very interesting story todd we thank you for breaking that down for us very detailed man and it sucks man um infuriating very infuriating you know to see two young ones die at a young age and then a mother died looking for a son and yeah this tragic event tragic event but at least they uh the suspects did received the death penalty on this one shouldn't have should have been worse should have been worse i this time this time i actually agree no life in prison it should have been death penalty electric chair or something yeah i could electric chair would have been a lot better yeah i would have been a little satisfied but it's still not enough oh uh, here we go <laughs> <laughs> she's like it's never enough never <laughs> as long as they suffered though i guess i could be a little content there you go yeah well ladies and gentlemen thank you for listening in to another episode of the grinding true crime podcast where todd broke down another story tune in next week for we break down another story for you guys we don't know who's going to narrate next week but it doesn't matter because we all pretty good at it (laughs) (laughs) with that being said follow us on instagram and facebook the grinding true crime podcast just type it up and you'll find us um, if you want to listen to us on your earphones while you're jogging and you want to hear, well, you wouldn't be jogging and listening to true crime, I don't think. But if you do, type in the Grinding True Crime podcast and you can find some of our previous episodes that we've recorded before. Once again, viewer dis- listener discretion is always <laughs> advised. <laughs> if they're jogging with this show on, they're looking over their shoulder while they're jogging. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm saying. I agree. <laughs> well, with that being said, this is Maddie Matt signing off. Uh, shout out to our narrator for today, Todd Fox, and the other host of the show, Gabby. And we are out. Toodle. Peace. <laughs>